0: And I remember even those early weeks coming home from the hospital, you know, they're like, don't lift anything over five pounds, you know, try to avoid picking up like heavy things. But it's like, all you want to do is like, you know, hold your baby. And then I wanted to hold my toddler. I wanted to put her in bed, put her in the crib, pull her out. And I'm like, every time in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is 24 pounds I'm lifting. (laughs)
1: Hi everyone. Welcome to the Parenting Translator newsletter and podcast. I'm Dr. Kara Goodwin and I am so excited today because I am here with Michelle Little. Michelle is a doctor of physical therapy who specializes in orthopedics, obstetrics, and pelvic health. Um, She is the founder of Women in Motion, which is an incredible organization dedicating to helping women achieve movement goals and stay strong during pregnancy Postpartum and menopause. She is also my personal physical therapist. And I first went to see her um, in June 2020, right after having my third baby, when I had neglected my own care to the point that I could barely walk and I was having severe pain. And she really helped me not only to recover, but to go back from not for, to go from not being able to walk to running regularly. So, Michelle, thank you so much for being here. And um, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit? about why you started Women in Motion. Yeah,
0: I started Women in Motion in July of 2020, um, officially as a brick and mortar clinic. Um, And I really just saw a huge need. So my foundation started in orthopedics. Um, I worked a lot with runners. That's really something I'm passionate in And I was noticing that a lot of women after having kids were having issues with leakage or prolapse um, or just pain and dysfunction in the pelvic girdle area. Um, And even though I had all this training and a doctorate in physical therapy, we had gotten no education on the pelvic floor. Um, So I thought I would go take a weekend class and kind of call it a day. And I just realized that there was so much more to learn Um, And so that's when I pursued
1: a postdoctorate in obstetrics and pelvic health. That's amazing. So I think that there are just so many myths and misconceptions out there related to pelvic PT, especially when it comes to pregnancy and postpartum, which is something, you know, almost every woman who is mother is dealing with. Can you explain what pelvic PT is and why there are so many myths and misconceptions? So even like you know, myself as a psychologist who worked in an academic medical center, like, I was pretty clueless about this even after having three children. It wasn't until I got to a desperate point and finally went to meet with you that I learned a lot about pelvic PT. So can you explain to us what is pelvic PT and why isn't this something that more women know about?
0: Yeah. So pelvic health really encompasses all genders, all phases of life. Um, So when you think of the term pelvic PT, I think thanks to social media, we see that there's like a lot of advocacy in the prenatal and postpartum period, but really clinically I treat all genders, all phases of life. Um, And so that encompasses anything pee, poop and sex. Um, So I always tell people like any bladder dysfunction, sexual intimacy dysfunction, or bowel dysfunction, you know, and why I think it's not so well known. There's really two layers to this. So first, I think generationally, we have been taught to not talk about that stuff. Those are kind of taboo topics. So, you know, when we're among our friends, if we have like a really great pair of skinny jeans that we like, or we love our hairstylist, like we tend to share that. But talking more about if someone is having pain with intimacy or maybe they're having some bladder or bowel incontinence aren't things that we regularly talk about. Um, and then, second, is for most of our history, there was no research being done on women. You know, it wasn't until 1993 that the NIH passed a law requiring women and minorities to be included in clinical research. So we have this whole generation of medical providers that you know, pelvic PT didn't exist back then. And then in some parts of our country, pelvic PT still isn't accessible. And so I think that also makes it where it's taboo to talk about um, and access is a big issue in
1: our country. I could totally see that. Um, I'm so glad that you're breaking your taboos. You know, on Michelle's Instagram, which is Women in Motion Wellness, you know, she talks a lot about Stuff that you may not have heard anybody talk about, like pain with sex. And I think it's so important that you know you're breaking the taboos, you're breaking the stigma. You're getting this information out there. So let's start with pregnancy. So I remember being pregnant with my first child, and like any like dutiful first- time mom, I'm reading all the pregnancy books, and like some of them were like, yeah, it's fine. Exercise as much as you want. Run a marathon if you want. And some of them are like, do not exercise at all unless you want to hurt your baby. So it's like there's all this conflicting information. So can you help clear that out? What is recommended when it comes to exercise and pregnancy?
0: Absolutely. So I always default back to ACOG, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. When we look at their guidelines, they recommend 30 minutes of exercise five days a week, um, and in general, what they say is any exercise that you were doing pre-pregnancy, you can continue doing throughout your pregnancy. Where we run into some complications is when women start to de- develop aches and pains. So you're absolutely right. What I hear clinically are women that will have, you know, maybe pubic symphysis pain or SI joint or low back pain. And they're being told things like, oh, well, that's normal, you're pregnant. And I think really identifying that there's a difference between something being very common and something being normal, right? It is not normal to experience pain. And in general, what I tell patients is if you have any pain or dysfunction that is keeping you from participating in those 30 minutes of exercise, then that's something that needs to be addressed, right? Because we know that those recommendations and guidelines are set in place to reduce the risk of us developing comorbidities during pregnancy. So things like gestational hypertension or gestational diabetes. Um, so 30 minutes, five days a week. And, you know, sometimes that could, for some people that could be running. Um, and for some people, especially if you're in Charlottesville pushing a stroller, if you have a child already up the Hill, like that could be moderate intensity exercise. So the level of it depends person to person, but 30 minutes is what we're aiming for.
1: That is so helpful to hear. You know, I think I hear from so many friends who are pregnant, like, oh, I couldn't exercise anymore because of whatever pain. And, you know, a lot of times, even when you ask OB, they're like, well, that's normal. You know, and it's like, well, yeah, is it? it's normal, but does it mean that I have to tolerate this for the rest of the pregnancy and slash maybe ongoing pain after, in the postpartum period? So I think that's so helpful to know that, like, if you cannot meet this uh, you know recommendation for exercise, like that may be when you should seek help. So what about core exercises specifically? You know, I feel like there's a lot um before I started seeing you and your team, I was like, I'm just not going to do any core exercises because I feel like I'm just gonna do it wrong. So what about core exercises? What is recommended there?
0: Yeah. So the core is super important. It helps to stabilize our pelvis and our low back. And it's an area that I think there's just so much fear. We're like, how do we move our bodies now that we have this bump? And so I do recommend core strengthening. I think it's really important and can play a major role in reducing the risk of low back pain and SI joint dysfunction. Um, And we're seeing newer literature coming out that developing low back pain specifically during pregnancy can increase the risk of mental health dysfunction postpartum. So usually side planks are a better option. Um, So taking the direct pressure off of the umbilicus, kind of that belly button area, especially if you already know that you've developed some diastasis recti. Um, And then the other thing is, you know, if you think back to gym class, most of us learned how to strengthen our core by doing like sit-ups or curl-ups, but really any exercise can. a core exercise. So working with a pelvic PT that has specialty training in obstetrics can be really helpful on how you can do exercises, maybe even in standing and work your core without putting pressure on the diastasis
1: recti if you've already developed that. That's really helpful. So I love that research that you cited that low back pain is related to mental health. Because I think, you know, having experienced pregnancy and postpartum, like three and a half times now I'm like it it you're like how you feel physically does really affect your mental health I think we all can agree with that um so speaking of exercises what about exercises specifically for the pelvic floor like we've all heard about key goals is that Should we all be doing like 100 Kegels a day? Like, what's the answer there? Uh,
0: So with the pelvic floor, Kegels are just an isometric contraction. And what that means is the muscle contracts and then it relaxes. And so a good analogy for that would be like, if you wanted to strengthen your arms, like let's say your biceps, You wouldn't just like squeeze that muscle and relax, right? You would lift different weights. You would lift weights in different positions. Um, So we would do it functionally. And the pelvic floor is the same way. So I don't really recommend Kegels. And in fact, I think that clinically what I see is women that have too much tension in their pelvic floor. So there's too much tightness and dysfunction. Um, And when we're trying to push a baby out, that can actually be problematic. And so we see some research. There's a really great study um, that was published in the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology um, showing that with certain push strategies, if we activate the pelvic floor, it can actually lead to longer pushing stage or a longer second oh, wow. stage of labor. So it just speaks to the importance of a functional pelvic floor. So we want it to be strong, but we also want to be able to relax And so, you know, clinically, I recommend like, yes, let's incorporate some strengthening into the program, but let's also make sure that we're doing at least one or two stretches after workouts that are intentional for down-regulating the pelvic floor. And as we get closer to that 35-week mark, really focusing on, you know, can you relax your pelvic floor and maybe even what does a push strategy look
1: like for you? That is so interesting. I've never thought about the fact that during pushing, like you actually want to relax. Like we think about the pelvic floor, how important it is to be strong, Um, but not that we also need to be relaxed during pushing. So leakage, pelvic floor pressure, like these things that like a lot of us are dealing with, is this just a normal part of pregnancy or should we seek help? And how do we know when to seek help?
0: Yeah. So a lot of leakage can be a result of where baby is right? So as the uterus is growing and moving into the abdomen, baby is now essentially sitting on top of your bladder. And so that can increase the risk of specifically stress urinary incontinence So that would be leaking with coughing, sneezing, um, or sometimes like lifting heavy weights or running. However, again, even though that's common, that's not normal. So I work with patients all the time that are having their third or fourth baby, and they're still running long distances and not leaking. Um, So to me, it's a matter of like the person in front of me, you know, is that keeping you from exercising, right? Is the fear of leaking your pants at a boutique gym studio keeping you from working out or Are you someone that you're like, hey, this happens occasionally, but I'm still going to run through it? Then that depends on like, do we need to address this during pregnancy or not? The other component is that, you know, although, again, we usually think of leakage as weakness in the pelvic floor, very often that's actually a sign of tightness. So a tight muscle is also a weak muscle. And so that could be really beneficial to see a pelvic PT to see exactly what is the cause of your leakage. You know, is there some prolapse that started to develop? Is there a lot of tightness in your pelvic floor muscles Is there a pressure management issue? Um, So how you're breathing and again, like where baby is might be impacting like where everything is sitting in our abdomen. So, you know, I always tell people like, I don't want it to ever be stressful. I want it to come from a place of education and empowerment. So if the leakage or your pain is impacting your life, then yes, schedule a visit, get it checked out, understand why things are happening and what you can do about it.
1: Okay. That's really interesting. So think about like functionally, how is this impacting your life? Are you still able to do the things that you want to do? Yeah. Um, Or is it bothering you, right? (laughs) So let's talk about labor and delivery next. So I think that like the common misconception here is that like, there's nothing you can do. It's pretty much like always, it's kind of like out of our control. And is there anything that birthing people can do to improve the labor process? And this might be a big answer. So if you want to just give us like a few tips here, that's great too. How do you prepare your body for birth? And what can you do during labor to make this process like as smooth as possible and reduce the risk of complications?
0: Absolutely. So there's two components here. First is like, you know, supporting your body during pregnancy. So for that, general areas that we want to focus on, core strengthening, glute strengthening, and posture can be really critical. If we kind of lay down that foundation during early pregnancy, then that just helps to reduce the stress that we're putting on the bony part of our anatomy. And then when it comes to birth prep, Again, thinking more about relaxing the pelvic floor can really impact our labor and delivery experience. So if the pelvic floor muscles are tighter, that's going to impact how our pelvis and our hip can move. So when I hear cases where you know, babies get stuck or women had a really long second stage of labor, you know, I always wonder like, what was the component of that, that maybe like the pelvis had difficulty kind of opening up because the pelvic floor muscles were tighter. And when I talk to labor and delivery nurses and birth providers, you know, their number one question is, Hey, when I have a woman in labor, how can I cue her to relax her pelvic floor? And that's really, really hard in that moment. So being more in tune to like, is that happening earlier on is key. So things like if you have constipation, um, that would be a sign that you are having trouble relaxing your pelvic floor muscles because you're not getting that stool out all at once. If you have pain with any form of penetration, so that could be, you know, toy, penis, speculum, um, digit. Um, And then third is any kind of urgency. So if you feel like all of a sudden you really, really have to go to the bathroom, so maybe you're having a little bit of bladder urgency or bowel urgency, those could all be signs that maybe your pelvic floor muscles have a little bit more tone in it.
1: So if you're experiencing any of those signs, you would suggest going to see a pelvic PT before labor to get some tips for how, learning how to relax your pelvic floor. Is that right?
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Okay. Okay. That's so helpful Um, because I feel like as, you know, especially for first-time moms, it's like, you don't really know if you're going to be one of those people who has like a really easy labor or one of those people who's like, you know, in labor for days. And it's just having some clue as to, you know, kind of the state of your body, I think is really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So all of us who've experienced birth know that in the immediate postpartum period, everything feels pretty weird and painful. Like it's not a very comfortable time of life. Um, So how do we know like what what is quote unquote normal and when to be concerned? Like when maybe we should see a pelvic PT specialist?
0: Yeah. So I am like very passionate that all women should have an appointment at around six weeks postpartum. Um, our bodies just go through so much during pregnancy and postpartum. We have weight changes, we have hormonal changes, um, and not to mention just like the additional stress and sleep deprivation. So all that impacts our body. And so when we're looking at going back to exercise, um, that early postpartum period really predisposes us to things like stress fractures and tendon pathologies because of all the weight changes and hormonal changes. So one, I think just six weeks, everyone should get an evaluation by a pelvic PT. But the other thing to consider is like, are you getting better every week, right? So especially during those early weeks postpartum, everything should be feeling better each week. If you're having any burning pain, stinging pain, um, it's still not getting easier to control your ba- bladder or your bowels, um, then that would be a sign to one, call your birth provider first and then if they clear you so they don't see anything wrong with you, then that would be a good sign to then move on to seeing a pelvic PT. Um, with our examination, because we do an external and an internal exam, we are able to look at general tissue healing, um, but as well as looking at overall how the muscles are supporting your body.
1: If you feel, you know, I know for most mothers, at least in the United States, um, We don't have anything until the six-week appointment, which is not ideal for so many reasons, um, mental health reasons as well. But in that period of zero to six weeks, things feel off to you. It's okay to see a pelvic PT rather than, you know, to check in before six weeks rather than being like, okay, this is just healing.
0: I would say before six weeks, usually what I'm seeing patients for is like low back pain, SI joint pain. So again, like I'll have patients that they can't even get out of bed because they're in so much pain or you know, maybe they had an injury during the birth process, so sitting on their tailbone is painful, and that's their the easiest way to nurse their baby. So again, anything keeping them from doing any caretaking activities or just living their daily life, if that's causing pain, then that's important to get it addressed sooner. In terms of pelvic floor specifically, we don't do an internal exam until at least six weeks because we need that general healing to occur. occur. But from an orthopedic standpoint, I mean, I see patients sometime as early as a few days post-birth.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think back. I think I saw you and I was probably about 2 weeks postpartum, um which I was at a desperate place too to call somebody in because this was in the middle of the pandemic too because I'm like I could it barely breastfeed. My back pain was so bad, you know, just the it it was really hard um even just like holding a newborn up to breastfeed and I could, you know, had a lot of, I had knee pain from my, the extra weight of the pregnancy and was having trouble even like walking around. So like, you know, if, if you are having, you know, I think it's so important for women to know, like if you are having trouble, like, and having pain when caring for your baby, like your pain is important too. You know, I think a lot of women in the early postpartum period are so focused on the baby, but, you know, you can't be in a good mental space to care for your baby if you're experiencing a lot of pain.
0: Yeah. And especially in the United States, you know, most women have, if they're lucky, 12 weeks from work. And so if we're only focusing on the baby and not on ourselves during that time, it's like all of a sudden your maternity leave is over, you're back at work, and you're having to manage higher demand. So a lot of times I think, you know, patients think there's always time later, but life just gets busier and then things start to accumulate. But yeah, I mean, even as simple as like carpal tunnel syndrome, like I'll see that, you know, early postpartum where women are having trouble holding baby's head up or holding certain nursing positions or they're having sciatica. Um, so all that can be addressed the sooner the better. And again, we know the impacts of that on mental health. So that's crucial.
1: So you know, I think in the in the United States, you know, we talked about the six week visit. It's so I always thought it was so interesting that like, you know, the general knowledge is like absolutely no exercise until that six week appointment, and then after you step out of that, like assuming you're cleared and like there are no medical complications, you it's like can you go run a marathon? Like what you know? I just feel like there's this a general misconception of absolutely no exercise, and if you're cleared at that appointment. Like, you're free to do whatever you want. Like, that just does not seem right to me. So can you explain to us, like, what what is the real, what does the research really say about when you can kind of resume full activities?
0: Yeah. Uh, So part of the problem is that we don't have enough research, right? And that goes back to just we haven't been studying this long enough. Um, But it's crazy. Like if you think of, if you have anyone in your life that's had an ankle sprain, right? They probably went to their primary care provider. Um, If it was a bad enough ankle sprain, maybe they ordered x-rays and then they did physical therapy anywhere from six weeks to 12 weeks, right? And that's for an ankle sprain, right? That's like one event where someone rolled their ankle walking down the street. Um, yet we know during pregnancy we have all these changes our bodies go through and then yeah magically at six weeks it's like okay you can go back to whatever you want I just think the research hasn't caught up in women's health but that's not what we recommend again understanding how to properly load your muscles load your tendons load your bones um, especially I think about that in my runners and women that are lifting weights is okay when was the last time you ran was that you know, 40 weeks of pregnancy? Was that 37? Or was that like your first trimester? Um, Because we, with a typical athlete, if they haven't been conditioning for several months, you wouldn't be like, all right, let's go, let's go run five miles. Yet that's kind of like the expectation that women have at six weeks postpartum when they're getting cleared for all activities. Um, So having an assessment, understanding like, your body strength and how you're healing is really important to work on a like return to exercise program. So 6 weeks is a good time to start. Um honestly, I work with a lot of patients that, you know, have a pretty smooth delivery and want to start moving their bodies earlier. And I'm also an advocate for that. You know, like exercise can look differently. Like it might just be like gentle core engagement, you know, gentle postural exercises. But I don't think that this like six weeks is a magical timeline that we just start cleared for everything.
1: So if you are feeling up for it before the six week mark, can you go for like gentle walks and like kind of ease into that exercise.
0: Yeah, we absolutely encourage that. Like I think walking is a great way to ease into it. Um, You know, I always educate patients like our babies should be doing tummy time. Um, So that's a great time for us to be doing, you know, some gentle core retraining and glute activation with more kind of floor or mat exercises. But, you know, Big guidelines there are if anything you're doing is increasing your bleeding or is causing you pain, obviously call your provider and that's when having a program from a skilled pelvic PT can be really helpful. Um, But in general, like it's not like do nothing for six weeks and then jump back at everything.
1: And I know from my experience, like working with you, like strengthening your core in those early weeks can be so helpful for back pain. You know, I when I... Every time I've breast, you know, started breastfeeding a baby, it's like it does cause a lot of back pain just because you, especially in the middle of night, kind of end up in postures that are like not ideal. And, you know, I think that it if if breastfeeding is painful, you know, it's going to be a more or if holding your baby up is painful, like it's hard to be in a good mental space.
0: Yeah, I've been so humbled this time. So I'm almost five months postpartum and Mia, my daughter, is 24 pounds and Daniel the baby is 20 pounds he's oh my gosh <laughs> and so you know it's just been so humbling because i mean that's that's a big baby i'm carrying around all the time and my toddler now also wants to be held more because she sees me holding the baby so there's been so many times where i'm holding both and i remember even those early weeks coming home from the hospital you know they're like don't lift anything over five pounds, you know, try to avoid picking up like heavy things. But it's like, all you want to do is like, you know, hold your baby. And then I wanted to hold my toddler. I wanted to put her in bed, put her in the crib, pull her out. And I'm like, every time in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is 24 pounds I'm lifting.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think about that all the time because I still hold my three-year-old and I'm 33 weeks pregnant. And I'm like, this is not good for my back. Like, (laughs) you know, this is going to cause me pain later um cuz i have to hold him in like such weird positions now but i'm like as you know as mothers we can't really i, I you know it breaks my heart to say no to the 2 year old that i can't or the 3 year old that i can't hold him anymore like you know these are these are important things for us and we shouldn't just you know it's not a simple answer is just like don't do that you know it's exactly. more complicated yeah
0: and it's not just thinking about it like it's not just exercise right like our lives as mothers include lifting all day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like whether it's like groceries or our kids, that is exercise, right? We're lifting all day.
1: So, yeah. so something else I think is like so bizarre is that the six week appointment, you know, you get this exam and they say you're cleared for sex and or, you know, assuming everything's okay, you get cleared for sex. And it's kind of like, you know, after all you've been through in, like, the past, it's almost like, are you sure about that? Like, are you sure that's okay? So um, what are your suggestions for women who are, you know, trying to restart intimacy after the six-week appointment? Is it normal for it to be painful? Um, How do we know what is normal and when to seek help when it comes to sex? Yeah.
0: So it is never ever normal for it to be painful. Um and that's something I think that message really needs to get out there is you know, women are often being told by their providers like, oh, it's because you just had a baby or use lubricant or just relax a little bit. And that's really doing a disservice to figuring out like why that individual is having pain, right? So thinking about if they had any kind of tearing during the birth, um, has that tissue completely healed or is there maybe some delayed healing or granulation tissue that has developed there? Because we can treat that, right? Um, The other thing is, is there scar? tissue? Is a scar tissue impacting the ability to have penetration? Um, Or is it truly just hormonal and there's some atrophy of that vaginal wall causing pain? And so to me, we can't just make a blanket statement that something is normal and not diagnose it or at least give that woman the opportunity to get it treated, right? Because that could be maybe getting pelvic PT, maybe getting topical estrogen, um, or if there's granulation tissue, there are different things that they can do to help address that tissue. Um, So I am a big advocate for if you're having pain, understand why, seek answers, um, because no, it's not normal to have pain. Um, And in fact, like I treat a lot of male patients at the clinic where, where sometimes like sexual dysfunction is one of their primary complaints. And, you know, they always will seek care. Like, they're calling our clinic, trying to get on the cancellation list to get in sooner. Um, and it makes me really sad when I talk to a woman that's been having pain with sex. Um, usually when I ask them, like, when did this start? They'll say something like, oh, like, five years ago or my whole life. You know, like, very often they can even track it back to trying to insert tampons in high school. Like, that being painful. Wow. And so it just speaks volumes on like, you know, within, like amongst women, like we're not talking about this and we're just like normalizing it. And most women, like they tell me in the clinic, they're like, I didn't know that it wasn't supposed to hurt. And that's, that's sad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's almost like a common misconception that, you know, sex is just painful after having children. Like, and I think, you know, that's such an important point that like you should never have to put up with pain. You know, this is not some, an activity that's supposed to be painful for you and that we should be not ashamed. You know, I think a lot of it comes from, like, stigma around sexuality and women, and, and we shouldn't be ashamed to seek help from that for those concerns.
0: Yeah, and it can be a really big part in a relationship. So you know, that's another thing is I see patients that that's really important to them and their partner. Um, And when those concerns are being minimized, or they're being told that that's normal, um, you know, that can have really big impacts on that relationship. So, you know, if that's something that's important to you, and you're having pain, at least understand why understand what's going on. And then you have the choice like, you know mentally am i in a state right now where i want to treat this or you know is right are is there are there other priorities right now but that's that's our choice to make as women not a provider to tell us
1: yes that's such an important point other topic i really want to talk about is diastasis recti which is abdominal separation i'm sure you could explain it better than me but it's extremely common i know i've experienced it during my pregnancies and i've read even it can occur up to um two out of three women. So it's something that's like extremely common. But um I never had heard about it until it happened to me. I've never had an OB screen for it. So can you explain what diastasis recti is and is there anything we can do to fix it if it if we do experience it? Absolutely.
0: Um, so diastasis recti is thinning of the linea alba. And so that is the tissue that connects our front abdominal muscles. So as the baby is growing, it is normal, right? That is what happens. The tissue starts to kind of separate. Now, when that becomes problematic is when the tissue stretches to the point that it starts thinning. That is when we start to see that there are more symptoms correlated with it, like low back pain, hip pain, pelvic girdle, pubic symphysis pain, because The abdominal muscles are having difficulty kind of stabilizing our body. It is just thinning. It's not an opening. And that's important because hernias are also really common during pregnancy and postpartum. Um, So the strong distinction there is that diastasis recti in itself, there should be no pain in the abdominal area, right? So if you cough, sneeze, poop, lift something heavy, it shouldn't be painful. If it's painful, then we're screening more for hernias. Um, and in terms of what we can do about it, like I think, you know, being proactive, um, and building up our core during early pregnancy can really, really help. Um, but also it's not too late. So my first trimester, um, with my daughter, I was throwing up multiple times a day. I was super sick. Um, so I had this idea of being super fit during my pregnancy. And I mean, it was pretty much 20 weeks of, I could barely make it to work, um, and so, by the time I got to twenty weeks, I remember like having one of my therapists check me, and I had almost a four finger separation in twenty weeks. Um and so I started doing lots of intentional core strengthening. And by the time Mia was born, I had it back to one finger. And in six weeks postpartum, there was like no diastasis. So I think like an important point is like, yes, it's super common, right? That's kind of part of the natural give that the body does as babies growing. But we can improve that even within pregnancy. And again, the core is so important to support the rest of the body that I think that's really, really important um, is just having like a good group of exercises that are strengthening that area and aren't making things worse.
1: Okay, that's so helpful to know that even during pregnancy, like this is something you can work on. You know, I think I've we've a lot of people, I know I've heard about women getting surgeries to fix diastasis recti. But I think it's so important to know, like, you can improve on this through physical therapy. Like, surgery is not your only option. And and you don't have to wait until after you have the baby to address this.
0: Yeah. Um, and I would even say, I mean, I've had patients that have done, like, a tummy tuck or they've decided to do, like, plastic surgery in that area. And I'm like, you know, it's our choice. Like, that's awesome if that's what you want to do. But still invest in the physical therapy piece because the surgery isn't going to fix the muscle, right? Like how thick the muscle is, the quality of the muscle there. And so even if, you know one, in most situations, we can make that significantly better. But even if you decide to do surgery, the work that you put into building up those muscles will only make the surgical outcomes better. But I will say like, I mean, I've worked with moms that have had multiple babies, like twins or triplets, and they have like 10 finger separation. And, you know, it might take a year or longer, but we can usually get that back to like within two or three finger separation. And then if there's extra tissue and cosmetically, you know, they want to address that, great. But like now you've built up your strength and that's what's actually going to
1: support your body. For surgery, it's just going to make it pretty. So final myth I want to address. So Mm -hmm. why is pelvic PT so important? So I feel like a lot of the issues we've talked about are kind of framed by society, as aches and pains that women are just supposed to deal with. This is just part of being a woman. And if you chose to have children, like you should just deal with this. Um, So can you explain why it's so much more and why it is, you know, maybe give us all of us mothers out there, like a little bit of motivation to take care of ourselves. Cause I think we all really need it.
0: Absolutely. So it's never too late. I just want to get that message out. If you're listening to this and your babies are in high school or going to college, um, or your grandma, like it's never too late. Pelvic health matters through all phases of life. Um, and to add a little bit of drama to that, um, I did some weekends PRN at a skilled nursing facility and it was a really humbling time period where, you know, if you talk to individuals that are older or in a skilled nursing facility. Their biggest thing is they want to be independent with peeing and pooping. They don't want anyone like wiping their butts or taking care of them in that way. Um, yet their biggest risk factors are fall. So if they're rushing to the bathroom, right? We want to reduce the risk of fall. So that just tells you how important pelvic health is all stages, But also, right, it is the base of the pelvis. They are the only muscles that attach our hips front to back and provide full stability for our entire body. Um, They are also directly related to pee, poop, and sex. And so, those are really big things that can impact our lives and so I am just like a big advocate if something feels off whether you feel like you have to pee too much or you're leaking urine um, or you're seeing streaks of poop in your underwear um, or it's hard for you to control your gas or it's painful to be intimate or it's painful to get a speculum exam and you find yourself delaying those gynecological exams because you're dreading that speculum going in, those are all signs that you would really benefit from seeing a pelvic PT. Um, And if you can find a pelvic PT that also has an orthopedic background, so all of our therapists at our clinic do, then that's magic because really like after having babies, the next big stage that every woman is going to go through is menopause. And as we go through menopause, we lose our estrogen. That's going to impact our bone density, our cardiovascular health, our vulvovaginal health. Um, and so working with a therapist that isn't going to look at your back pain as just like anyone's back pain, but take into account where you are on your women's health journey is so important.
1: I just can't thank you enough for all this like wealth of information. I feel like I've learned, I continue to learn so much from you every time I talk to you. Um, So can you tell um, the listeners where they can find more resources if they want to know more about this? How do you find a pelvic PT in your area? What do you do if you feel like you need more help with this?
0: Absolutely. Um, So in most states in the United States, you can see a physical therapist through direct access. Um, So specifically in Virginia, as of right now, we have 30 days of direct access, but starting July 1st, um, we'll no no longer need a referral from a physician. And the goal with that is to reduce the barriers and how long it takes patients to get an appointment. You can go to either the academyofpelvichealth.org or the americanphysicaltherapyassociation.org. And both of these options have a button where you can click and it says find a PT And then you can search by specializations. So I always recommend like if you are pregnant or postpartum, then the magic therapist would be pelvic health trained, obstetrics trained, and orthopedics, especially if you are someone that wants to get back to exercising or running. But that's also just a great website to have on your radar as we're having babies and maybe they're having motor delays or, you know, we have an older parent that needs specialty care. Um, So, again, that's APTA.org, American Physical Therapy Association. And when you're searching there, you can search by zip code. You can search by specialization. um, And looking at those specialties is really important because most of us will choose a provider that's convenient and close to us. Um, But really, you're going to pay no matter where you're going. So it's important to see a provider that has the specialties that can best meet your needs.
1: Okay, that's very, very helpful. And I know that you provide a lot of free resources on um, pelvic PT and a lot of other important topics on your Instagram and website, can you, you share those as well so the listeners can find more information about you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can find us on Instagram at motion underscore wellness. Um, you can also go to our website, womeninmotionpt.com. Um, our clinic is in Charlottesville, Virginia, but we also have virtual services and we have two online classes. Um, we actually have a prenatal and a postpartum class. Um, and I spend lots of time on social media creating free educational content um, and then frequently doing like free seminars in person at our clinic, um, as well as online via Zoom. So educating the public is something that I'm
1: super passionate about. Thank you so much. I think, you know, providing those free resources for the public is so incredible. You know, I can speak from my personal experience that all of the resources you provide have just are just so helpful for mothers who are experiencing these kind of issues and want to learn more. So um, I cannot recommend... Michelle's website enough and they're just a wealth of, of free resources there. Um, so thank you so much, Michelle. I really appreciate you having you here and you know, I've just learned so much and I can't thank you enough. Yeah. Thank you for having
0: me on Kara. Of course.
1: Parenting Translator is a nonprofit organization, so all of these podcasts and the information they provide are given to you for free. If you would like to support our work, please subscribe to this podcast and rate and review it. Thank you so much.